Hello and welcome to, to this week's uh, edition of the Fit Finance Sessions with me, Henry Elliston, Tim Webb, and Tom is back from sunny Crete and the sunburn seems to have receded in, in our gloriously hot, sunny British climate. Um, thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about um, discretionary investment management, the pros and the cons. Um, and just to introduce you to the to the concept, this is of course a concept we use with many of the, the portfolios that we manage at Efficient Portfolio. The principle behind it is that we hire in who we think is a professional investment manager to look after the funds held within our pension, in our clients' pension and investment portfolios. Um, and, and those investment managers hold discretion over the accounts. So they're free to pick and choose within boundaries that we put it put out at the beginning, such as the risk profile or whether or not it should be um, an ethically balanced or a passive or actively balanced portfolio. So we set the guidelines and then they're given discretion to invest the, the client's money as they see fit um, to try to make the money grow as well as possible in the most cost-effective way. Um, and as I say, within those within those parameters that we, that we set out to begin with. So what we thought we would do today, um, Tim Tim is going to take the cheery job of guiding you through some of the some of the benefits of using a discretionary investment manager. And Tom Scrooge, that he wasn't at Christmas, is going to take the negative role, the other side of the coin, and he's going to talk us through some of the the drawbacks of, of using using a DFM or a DIM as they sometimes know. So, so Tim, take me away. What, what are the, the great benefits of, of using a discretionary investment manager um, as opposed to not using one? Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose rather thinking quite selfishly, I suppose, from a financial planning angle, having um, somebody to perform the specific function of the investment management of your wealth then allows your financial planner to actually do their job a little bit better in terms of remaining in that bird's eye view and you know arguably looking at the other more wider financial aspects to do with with being a financial planner such as tax planning income strategies and what have you because doing an investment management role specifically um you know would take up an awful lot of time so therefore you know one could argue that you'd be taking some some time away from those other all important aspects of, of the overall um picture but also one, one of the other ones which um, most people tend to, to appreciate is is the time delay um, which uh, would be there if you didn't if the discretionary manager um, didn't have discretion over over your money insofar as making changes in the portfolio so you know let's say they they were in fund a and decide that fund b or fund c would be a better option for you you know according to your risk profile and all the rest of it they can make that change without your say so because you've signed a mandate to give them you know the powers to make that decision um, for you whereas as we'll hear from tom later on the other side of the coin actually there can be a bit of a time delay between that that decision um, actually going through to, to to trading and changing the portfolio and what have you and the market can move on so it's far more efficient in that perspective from that perspective rather in that changes can be made as and when the managers um, see fit. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the main main ones. I mean, I suppose from a side perspective, you know, professionalism, you, you're employing professionals in the investment space to do what they do best um, and to, 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 you know, to, to work off the mandate that you've prescribed for them um, rather than having to do things yourself, which, you know, you may not be as educated clearly as somebody who's, who's spent half a decade or a decade of their life plus, you know, studying that sort of stuff. 
Um, so, but you know, I think we'll hear a little bit later um, about sort of the, the idea of self-selecting because um, there is this, I don't know if you guys have come across it, but there is this sort of uprising of the DIY investor. I don't know if you've come across any articles on that um, from that angle, but yeah, this idea that people can just invest themselves and you know, you sort of, you don't need or shouldn't be paying um, for, for professional investment management. Um, but, but, but yeah, so they're, they're I the main. Really, I think it's really right, Tim, especially that first bit that you were saying about, um, about being able to make quick changes. Um, and especially, I mean, I think in, in two senses, one, when we saw, you know, in April last year, when the market moved very, very quickly, of course, the, the, the DFM has that opportunity to rebalance portfolio very swiftly as it goes down. So there's a great, much greater chance of, of buying stock for the cheaper price as it might have been last year and, and so on and so forth. And historically, I've gone down more of the self-select route. And, and you, you don't, the, the speed with which you write, write to a client to explain the changes you want to make to the portfolio, for them to then sign up and say, yeah, okay, that's fine, make those changes. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's probably, it takes a month to get any changes made, even with a fast acting client. Mm. Um, and and I, I absolutely, it's a great benefit, rebalancing the portfolio, switching out poor performing funds. Um, swiftly, I think, is a huge, huge benefit to clients that possibly not always noticed by them. Mm. I think ultimately that's why there isn't that many downsides to to, to using a discretionary portfolio. I think um, most of the downsides come to cost and minimum. So a lot of discretionary managers won't take you on as a client unless you meet a certain level level of assets. They they've been coming down over time, but. Uh, particularly some of the some of the big institutions or or actually clients that used to be looked after by their bank or private banking the private banks have really ratcheted up the um, minimums for them to to get involved I think if you're at um, uh, say say some of the big banks down in London say Citibank or Goldman Sachs I think Goldman Sachs is a five million minimum ten million minimum Um, and to have that full discretionary um, process. Um, so minimums are a, a key thing. And then costs are, are the other. Actually, some of those, for it to be competitive, you kind of have to be at those kind of levels to get a, a fair costing from those, those DFMs. And a lot of DFMs bespoke price. Um, so if you're going to, uh, sometimes if I name names, the, uh, those DFMs might not be too pleased with me, but um, some some will give discounts depending on what what the case is. So it can be a bit unfair in in places. And actually, going through an advisor to see a DFM is is often better in in that respect because we can use our sort of uh, bulk purchasing ability to to be able to do that. Um, and and often those costs don't always deliver deliver better performance um and some some advisory businesses do really well and run really good portfolios and but it it is an administrative burden and it sometimes allows us to be more bespoke or if there's certain client needs advisory is good um but i think i think you're right for all the reasons we've talked about before discretionary is probably probably the way to go unless you're using um uh simpler strategies i think that's the other thing sometimes it can be a bit more complicated or feel more complicated but complicated is fine if someone's handling all that complication for you um 
uh, ultimately at the end of the day. But I think the good thing is a lot of those downsides I've mentioned, the way we deal with clients or discretionary managers, um, we we don't have minimums and we have very cost-effective ways to access those uh, discretionary um, discretionary portfolios. Um, uh, so yeah, there's very few downsides um, uh, these days, but I think yeah, the alternative. The, the obvious downside is there's another layer of cost. And so you, you need to ensure that your discretionary manager is making those gains both through the, you know, the simplicity of, of portfolio maintenance and also the additional growth that they provide in order for it to be worthwhile paying that extra bit of money for them. But I suppose also being a DFM, they get some fund discounts for the, for the you know, the, the amount of money that they hold with certain funds. Yeah, and you, you can always be a race to the bottom in terms of costs. And like Tim was saying, the, the DIY investor and doing it all yourself. And it's the amount of times I've seen very intelligent people who've run their own investments make somewhat interesting investment ideas or concepts. Um, I think I think when you outsource it, you you also outsource a lot of the emotion of, of making the trade and, and everything else and, and Okay, they obviously have emotions and they're making the, the trade, but that's that's the biggest reason DIY investors go wrong. It's very easy to buy everything when all the ships are rising with the tide. But um, yeah, I think just having that area of expertise, or if you want to run some of your own investments, that's fine. But maybe I don't know, hedge your bets and get someone to employ a strategy that's maybe counterproductive to yours. Um, Diversification is always always the key, and that's where different DFMs different they've all got their own specialities and actually picking one that is right for you is is easier said than done but um yeah there's some there's some good experts out there and worth paying the money for next well there we go that's why we do it here at ep use use the dfm um so we'll leave it i think we'll leave it there unless you guys got any more to add um but hopefully that was um useful and informative and, and gives you a slightly better understanding of of why we use the DFMs that, that we use. Um, and I think next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about investment strategies, some of which will be employed by, by the discretionary investment managers that we use, and some perhaps that aren't. Um, anyway, more about that next week. Until then, goodbye.